So I invite you to take your Bibles, open it to the book of Esther, chapter 5. Now today's um, preaching is going to be a little bit more by faith and not by sight, because normally I can see your faces. So if I feel I'm saying something that I need to clarify, I can like do that by looking at your faces. But now I'm just going to have to go. And, and um, that's also just an open invitation. Um, I'm always available for you to come speak to me afterwards uh, if you have any questions about the sermon or about what I said. But, um, but I do hope that you have an open Bible as well. And if it's too dark, get an open phone with the Bible on your phone. I'll excuse you this time. Okay, only now, only this time you may have a phone with your Bible on. Okay. But uh, we are going to take three chapters of Esther today. Not because there are not helpful lessons to be learned in each individual chapter. And let me tell you, I was sorely tempted as a Baptist to, to stick to one chapter. I wanted to mine as much as we can. But to see the main point, um, you really do need to see chapters 5, 6, and 7 together. So I'm going to aim for that. And therefore, we are going to move a bit quicker through the text as we move through chapters 5, 6, and 7 to get to the main point. So, and the point that you will see in these three chapters is the main point of the whole book. And that is the point of reversal. Reversal. Something is expected to happen, but then the reverse occurs. The opposite happens. And that's what we will see. And, um, so some of you might like, like lit- literature and how um, stories are structured. The book of Esther is structured in a chiastic form. Now, what we mean by that is that the beginning and the end is the same. And as you move closer, it, it, it sandwiches the whole time until you get to the middle part. And Esther's two feasts is the, the two sandwiches of the middle climax of the book right in the middle. So as we're going to study the two feasts of Esther as well, be looking for the middle part and, and know in your mind this is the main point. The whole book is leading to really this middle point. Okay. So we have seen that Esther had to make a choice between will she stand with God's people as a Jew or will she save her life and align herself with the empire, with the world. And we have seen that she has chosen her death. She's chosen, I will rather die as a Jew than live as a Persian. She said, I don't care if I perish, I perish. I'm going to go and make my identity known to the king. So they fasted for three days, and now she's ready to see whether God will grant her favor. Let's see what God will do. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robe, stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. So see Esther's wisdom and her submission here. She, she doesn't just keep walking towards the king. She stands still in the inner court of the king's palace. So she is close enough for the king to see her and she is submissive to wait what the king will do. Will the king spare her life? So she's wise. She's trusting God, but she's also using her common sense. And that's really how we should live our lives, right? God is in control, but use your common sense. Okay, look at verse 2. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the, the scepter. 
So we, as we read this, you should be breathing a sigh of relief, right? God has granted the Jews' request. She is spared. But all is not well yet. She still has to do the very important but difficult thing to ask for an impossible deliverance that she and her people might be spared. Look at verse 3. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you, even to half of my kingdom. Now, that phrase you might have heard in other places in the Bible, right? I'll give you anything you ask, even up until half of my kingdom. That's not to be taken literally. That is a way of saying, listen, I am generous. Don't hold back your request because you think I'm not able to fulfill it. So ask me anything, even something as crazy as half of my kingdom, and I will do that. So you see, where's the king's heart? The king's heart, even after 30 days, remember there were 30 days when Esther didn't see the king, but now the king's heart looks at his wife and he's, he's, he's flabbergasted. I hope that's a word. Okay, And at the back of your mind, you should always be thinking Proverbs 21 verse 1. Remember this. It says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So the the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord. The Lord can give favor. And this is what he has done. The Lord is working behind the scenes in his sovereignty. Look at verse 4. And Esther said, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Now, many have wondered, why didn't Esther just ask right there, right there? It seems like the king is favorable towards her. Strike while the iron is hot. What are you doing, Esther? But Esther is acting in amazing wisdom. She uses the words which this king especially likes to hear, right? If it pleases the king. Oh, wow. This king, right? That is always focused on what he feels and his passions. Like, king, I'm here just to please you. But she doesn't tell him to come immediately. She says, come to the feast and bring Haman with you. Now try to put yourself in the shoes of the king. Imagine if your wife, your queen, was just willing to be killed. She comes to ask you a question, and she could have lost her life, and her request is come to a feast. Okay, now I need to go to this feast. Like, what is, what is up? What's going on? And why Haman? Why him? There are incredibly few people who can resist this. Um, if, I can, if I may use my wife, my beloved wife, as an example. I just have to tell her, Liffy, I have something for you, but I'm going to give it to you tomorrow. It's over. Like that whole day. Like, but what is it? Can you tell me now? Can you tell me now? And that's, that's a very smart tactic, right? You're luring in. And that's what Esther is doing. Esther is luring the king in, in his curiosity. Also, okay, this one is important. She's inviting him to a feast. All the men say, amen. What man on earth doesn't like a feast? I mean, sometimes after I have eaten a meal with my wife, I say, I'll give you anything, even up until half of my kingdom. Even though she already possesses everything I have, I just like to say that, you know. It just feels good. <laughs> okay. But in God's wise providence, it also does something unintentionally. It is subtly stroking Haman's pride. Haman is feeling very puffed up because the queen has invited him to the feast and nobody else. 
And we will see that that will be key to his downfall later in the story. Okay. So the king accepted. Note his eagerness to say, look at verse 5 to 6. He says, then the king said, bring Haman quickly. You see, he took the bait. So that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. So, okay, Esther, we're here. You've risked your life. We're at the feast. Now tell me, what do you want? Look at verse 7 to 8. Okay. Um, Sorry. Yeah, verse 6, sorry. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Now Esther answered, My wish, my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I prepared for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has answered. No! Okay. Do you feel like this is like, no, you, another day, this is pure torture or pure wisdom. And that's exactly what it is. It's the latter, right? Now, there is a fine line between being irritating and being wise. And in God's providence, Esther is acting in the latter. She's, she's wise. I love the way she asked this, right? If I really please the king, if, I, if you can really grant my request, come to the feast. Think about it. The king can't say no. He just said to her, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom. And she's just asking for another day. Come tomorrow. So he can't say no after that. Look at verse 9. Verse 9. Haman went out that day joyful, glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. So this is a sad, pathetic picture of Haman. One moment, he's in the clouds. He's joyful, in ecstasy. Next moment, he's in the dumps, angry, upset. And the occasion is ironic because Mordecai neither rose nor trembled. Do you remember what was the first time? Why did Haman make the initial edict? What did, ha- what did Mordecai not do? The first time Mordecai refused to bow down, but now he refuses to stand up. <laughs> so it's like, it's just an irony. But Mordecai simply just doesn't treat Haman as all that big of a deal. Haman, I'm not going to respond to you. And so his pride is being stroked by the feast of Esther and so quickly bruised by Mordecai. And then Haman holds a pity party, but this time he invites people, right? So we, we often have pity parties on our own. Haman has a pity party and he invites friends to this party. Look at what verses 10 to 12 says. It says, Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself, went home, and he sent and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I'm I'm invited by her together with the king. Okay, so look at this. He recounts to them something they probably already knew. 
his friends, his wife, they know this. Yet it is important for this man not just to be somebody special, but to feel special by others. Another detail, just another funny detail you shouldn't miss. Remember, his, his wife is there, and he tells them the number of sons they have. Surely his wife remembers how many sons they have, okay? But no, it's important for them to just hear it again, to hear his, 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 accolade, his accolades, right? But because of one man, all of this means nothing. Look at verse 13. It says, yet all of this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Think of just how degrading that would be to his friends and his wife and his children. I have all of these gifts. I have all of these blessings. And this means nothing to me until that man is dealt with. Initially, it was enough for, for, for Haman to wait until the day of execution. It was enough for him to tolerate Mordecai until all the Jews are killed. But now it seems like it's no longer enough. Something needs to be done right now, right now in that time. Okay. So Haman's whole sense of well-being revolves around his fragile ego, the way other people think about him and treat him. Now, before we move on, move on, beloved, I think it's worth pausing here and asking you and me a question. Imagine you were Haman's friend or wife. What would you have said to him if he said this to you? How would we have counseled Haman with his problems? Remember, he's, one day he's up there, next day he's up. In the dumps, he's angry, he has all of these blessings, but because of one person who refuses to, to rise up or bow down to him, his whole existence means nothing to him. All of his... And I was curious, and I googled something, that I was suspected, I think, how people today would have treated Haman. So I googled um, a narcissistic personality disorder, and I, I saw this following symptoms. Let me read the symptoms to you and see how Haman fits this perfectly. They have an unreasonably high sense of self-importance and require constant excessive admiration. Haman. Feel that they deserve privileges and special treatment. Expect to be recognized as superior even without achievements. Make achievements and talents seem bigger than they are. Be, Be preoccupied with fantasies about success, power, brilliance, beauty, or the perfect mate. And We're going to see how he does literally that in the next chapter. Fantasizing about himself. And the list just goes on and on and on. Now, it's clear, right? If Haman would rock up in a counseling counseling case today, people would tell him, you have a personality disorder. That's what's wrong with you, Haman. Now, if you have a biblical worldview of how God made man and what is wrong with man, That Genesis 3 is a reality. That from Genesis 3 onward, man is fallen. Man is corrupt. We have a sinful heart. And the solution to sin, and beloved, let me just say this. I'm not saying all psychology is wrong or all counseling uh, in these fields are necessarily wrong. All I'm saying is there's a very big problem when sin is redefined as a sickness or a personality. Because if sin is a sickness or if sin is a disorder, Christ is not the solution. 
But why did Jesus come? To save his people from their sins. So what, what I would have done, now just to be fair, I had a whole week to think about it. So if you feel like you wouldn't know what to say, don't feel too bad. I had a whole week to think about this is to take his emotions and wisely trace it back to the center of his universe. So what you should do is look at Haman in the eye and say, look at your emotions. One moment you were extremely happy. Why? Because Queen Esther invited only you. And the next moment you are extremely depressed, extremely angry. Why? Because Mordecai didn't honor you. Who is the center of your universe? Who is the most important person in your life? And let your emotions testify to you who that person is. And really, the answer is yourself, Haman. Can you see your emotions betray who you worship? You are not worshiping God. You're worshiping yourself. You are revolving around you. Instead, Here is actually the good news is God did not create you for you. God didn't create you to be revolving around yourself. And the slightest offense offends you so much that your whole existence ravels apart. You were created to be revolving around God. And if he was on this side of the gospel, we would have said you are created for Christ. For all things were created through him and for him. All things are created for Christ. You exist for Christ. You must worship him, not yourself, not your idols. And the good news is, Haman, Jesus came for sinners like you, proud people like you. People, if I can say this, maybe not as severe as Haman, but we are all little n narcissists, all of us. All of us are little n narcissists because all of us are so preoccupied with our own lives, our own comfort, how other people think about us. The selfie culture, right, is selfie. Like if you see a photo, the first person you look for is yourself. It's just natural. It's just the way we are. We are self-centered. And that's why we're so broken people. But Jesus came to save you from you. He came to free you from the idol of worshiping yourself to give you a new identity in Christ. He said, come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you your identity. No matter what people think of you, no matter how people treat you, instead, if they persecute you, rejoice. Christ paid and died for your pride. So lay aside the weight of self-pity. Lay that weight down at the foot of the cross. Lay the weight of pride. It's going to kill you. C.S. Lewis said it very well. Listen to this. He says, I know one doesn't even want to be cured of one's pride because it gives you pleasure. But the pleasure of pride is like the pleasure of scratching. If there is an itch, one does want to scratch, but it is much nicer to have neither the itch nor the scratch. Love that. As long as we have the itch of self-regard, we shall want the pleasure of self-approval. But the happiest moments are those when we forget our precious selves and have neither but have everything else, God, our fellow humans, animals, the garden, and the sky instead. And we warn people who build their lives around themselves with Proverbs 18 verse 12. It says, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility, humility comes before honor. 
Jesus said, Luke 18 verse 14, everyone, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So in Haman's case, the solution isn't therapy, but repentance. The solution is salvation and then sanctification, the process of becoming less and less like yourself and more and more like Christ. But sadly, what prideful man needs is a miracle. You need to be born again. You can't cause yourself to change. God needs to change you. And then your case is sealed, especially when you have worldly counsel that's not biblical. And that's exactly what his wife and friends give him. Look at what they say. What are they counseling Haman to do in verse 14? It says, Then his wife Zeres and all his friends said to him, let a, let a gallows 50 cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. 50 cubits is about 22 meters. So if you can imagine how high that is, some commentators say probably built it on a hill or on a, a high building so that everybody could see when Mordecai would be hanged. And while Haman goes off to work throughout the night, God also works throughout the night. Look at what happens in chapter 6 verse 1. On that night, the king could not sleep. Okay, stop there. Why on that specific night can't the king sleep? Now, you might say perhaps he had, he had too much wine with Esther. Perhaps the anticipation was too much, like a child trying to sleep on Christmas Eve because he knows he's getting a present tomorrow. He's like, I can't sleep. I need to know what Esther wants or whatever it might be. But what is clear is God's hand. His timing is perfect. If he did sleep, Mordecai would be dead. Look at what happens, okay? 6 verse 1 to 2. It says, And he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bithana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So again, the king could have done anything. Instead, he decides, let the memorable deeds be read. And another coincidence, then in the memorable deeds, what is the chance that they read specifically about Mordecai? And by the way, this is five years later after Mordecai did the memorable deed. Five years have passed where he has been coincidentally forgotten. And at this moment, he is remembered. And he's, he was unrewarded. Look at verse 3. So the king, the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. The stage is set. The king wants to honor Mordecai. And again, the timing of it all is perfect. At that very moment, Haman decided to come to work early to talk to the king about Mordecai. Look at verses 4 to 9. We're going to read now a larger portion. And the king said, um, sorry, yeah, the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young man told him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said to him, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, 
Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? This is so good, right? Okay, it said, Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought which the king has worn, and the horse what the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set, and let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the, and proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Haman enters into this elaborate daydream. Now, I think this has not been the first time he had this fantasy. He probably had this fantasy in his free time. Yo, look at me. Look how amazing I am. As the king. He, Haman did, was not content to be the chief. He wanted to be the king. But his daydream was quickly smashed with an ice bucket of water. I, I think this might be the biblical basis for the ice bucket challenge. Right? is you think you're going one direction and then your, your, your dreams are shattered. Look at verse 10. It says, Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. Mordecai the who? The Jew. The king doesn't even until now know who the people are who are going to be killed. But he knows that Mordecai is a Jew. The very people that are going to be killed, he is now supposed to honor the person. That's the very person he wanted to hang. So this is one of two reversals we are going to see. The first reversal, instead of Haman being honored... Mordecai is honored. They have switched places. Look at the rest of the verse in 11 to 12. So Haman took the robes and the horse and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. I love Mordecai's response. Did you see how Mordecai treated it? Went back to the gate. Okay, you can't honor me. It's fine. I'm going to go back to work. <laughs> like, I'm going back to the gate. Like he it doesn't go to his head. The praise of man, the honor of man is fickle. It fades. It's like a vapor. But Haman goes to his house. What? Mourning. I think this is deliberate by the author because at the beginning of chapter 4, who was mourning? It was Mordecai. Mordecai and the Jews were mourning. But what do we see now? Haman is mourning. Again, what is the idea here is that Haman and Mordecai have switched places. There's a reversal that is happening. Even his wife gets it. Look at verse 13. Verse 13. Haman told his wife, Zerus, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife, Zerus, said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. The wife connected the dots. Just like the Egyptians eventually realized, listen, this isn't just Egyptian magic. This is Israel's God is fighting for them. Pharaoh, how long will you be Stubborn. How long will you not listen? Listen. And this is what Zerus is saying. Listen, realize God is behind all of this. You are not going to prevail. 
Haman is no longer in control because it's barely done with his friends that we read the next verse, verse 14. While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. So the king and Haman went into the feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Notice, in the, the first time he said it at the feast, he just said Esther. Now he says Queen Esther. So, you see, so he, he, he's affectionate of his wife. He says, what is it? Tell me. I'm here. Probably a little bit irritated that Haman is there. Like, can't we just be alone? Now this Haman is, has to sit here while we have our talk. Now look at what happens. Verses 3 to 4. It says, Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the Loss to the king. She couldn't have said this any better than she did. So king, all I want is to, that you would save my life. Spare me, for we have been sold. Now that's a very wise, uh, uh, in, uh, interesting way to say, to refer to the 10,000 talents that Haman was promising. He says, we've been sold like property. We, we've been sold to be destroyed. But on that note, even if we just were property, we would have accepted that as slaves. Now, think how brilliant that is, because the king would not even have accepted that. Even if Esther was just sold as a slave, this would still have infuriated the king. But now they're being killed, they're being annihilated. Look at verses 5 to 6. It says, Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he, and where is he, who has dared to do this? Esther said, A foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Esther says, Haman is a foe. And notice, she doesn't say an enemy of the Jews. She just says he's a foe. He's an enemy. In other words, he's your enemy as well, king. Now, the king is listening to this. You're trying to kill my queen. Okay? You are selling my queen. This is an assassination, not on the king, on the queen. You are my enemy. Right? Look at what happens, 7 to 8. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Now, one Jewish um, interpretation says uh, the angel Gabriel pushed Haman. <laughs> okay, it's just a, such a funny picture. Like It's like, okay, let's make this look bad. Bah. <laughs> okay? Now, we don't know what happened. No, it doesn't seem like that is what has happened, but you can, you can appreciate that. But here's an irony of all of this. This time, Haman is innocent. He's not assaulting the queen. He's begging for his life. So the, it's, ir, it's irony that the one crime for which he is innocent is the very thing that he gets condemned for. 
It's just ironic, okay? And it seems that Haman wasn't all that popular that he thought he was. Look at verses 9 to 10. It says, Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, Mordecai, oh, Moreover, the gallows that Haman had prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king. Notice how he's also setting this up. <laughs> By the way, that man he wanted to hang saved your life, king. Okay, is standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high, and the king said, Hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. Do you see the second reversal? The first reversal, Mordecai was honored instead of Haman. Second reversal, instead of Haman being hanged, oh, Mordecai being hanged, sorry. It's a lot of Hamans and Mordecais in my words. Instead of Mordecai being hanged, Haman is hanged. What is beautiful about this account is that it was Haman's own plot that destroyed his own life. It was his own pride that led to the honor of Mordecai. And it was his own pride that, that let him be hanged on the gallows. This is how God is starting to deliver his people through reversal. And isn't this just a perfect story? And listen to me. As we apply this and as we close our time together, the book of Esther shows us that nothing in your life is coincidence. This is what these stories are meant to teach us, like a sleepless night, a random memorial book. All of these events, or even the five-year being forgotten to be rewarded, was part of the plan. Details that you and I might think is random, is out of control, is how could anything good come out of this? And this shows us that God is always working out his plan in your life, in my life, in everybody's life. God is sovereign. As Ephesians 1.11 makes crystal clear, it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So, beloved, you are not here by mistake. You are not in South Africa in Northwest, in Pochefstroom, in this church service, for no reason. You are here for this sermon that you might come to Christ, that you might repent of your sins and put your trust in Him. That's the purpose. Because the story of Esther reminds us of the greatest reversal that ever happened, how God has delivered us. There was another tree raised on a hill, on which a man hanged, and which satisfied the wrath of the king. There was another instrument of death that ironically was the very instrument of life and salvation. Many said of this man, yes, okay, now you can look at me and I can look at you. Okay, nobody's sleeping. Okay, they're at the back. <laughs> Many said of this man, on the cross, save yourself. And ironically, by not saving himself, he saves others. He stays on the cross in order to save. Jesus on the cross enacted the greatest reversal you could imagine. He both saved us and destroyed the works of the devil in one event. Remember Genesis 3 verse 15. I don't know if you're out clear, you can still see there, but... 
This is the promise God gave. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He, singular, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What is amazing about the bruising of the, of the heel and the crushing of the head is that it wasn't two events. It was the same event. The cross was the biting in the heel from the devil and the cross was the crushing of the head of the serpent. It was the same thing. The devil destroyed himself in a sense. They thought they can get rid of him and as they tried to get rid of him, they fulfill God's plans. Remember what Jesus said is, as the serpent was raised in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be raised. Jesus was lifted up like the serpent. He became a curse for us. He became like Haman for us. He became that for you and me, cursed to save you and me. Our sinless Savior became sin, not in his essence or in his attributes or in his character, but treated like Haman, treated like what you and me should have deserved, that we might be treated what he deserves. That is the great reversal. So come to Christ. Come to him even now as you are here. Come to this Jesus who alone offers the cure of your pride and your sin and your selfishness and your brokenness. He alone provides the cure for sin. And it's available for all who repent and trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that is so clear and encouraging to us. Lord, we are all in one sense, like Haman. We are selfish, we are proud, we have far too high esteem of ourselves. Lord, and only you can save us, can change our hearts from the heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Lord Jesus, only you can take sinful man and make us a beautiful bride of holiness for you so father we want to lay down our idols before you we want to lay down especially the idol of self-regard and pride and ask you lord to forgive us to save us and to cleanse us and to help us to serve others to treat others as more significant than ourselves just as you have laid down your life for the brothers, that we too would lay down our lives for one another. Lord, come have your way in us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.